Hey friend, I'm Sarah, and welcome to the Nerd's Guide to Financial Independence podcast. I am here to show you that financial independence can be for anyone who wants it badly enough and that investing in real estate doesn't have to be scary, take a vast DIY knowledge, or involve heaps of debt. When I am not sharing my own progress to FI, I'll be picking the brains of fellow like-minded, debt-conscientious investors. I am so glad that you are here, my fellow aspiring retirees. Hey guys, sorry for the interruption, but I really wanted to come on here and talk to you about the management program that I use to manage my real estate properties. And it is called Avail. If you have not heard me talk about it, I'm extremely obsessed with it because it is like cozy on steroids. So I do all of my tenant screening through there. I can do background checks. I can do criminal checks. I can do eviction record reports. You can have the tenants pay for their own background checks. And you can also push your advertisement for your properties out on various platforms. And once you get it listed, people can apply. You can add custom questions to your pre-screen. And then once they're in you know, the system and you've chosen your tenant, they can do all their rent collection through there. They can put their security deposits in. They can show proof of insurance. And my absolute favorite part, which is really hard to find, is it is a one-stop shop because I can do all of my lease forms electronically. Goodbye paper. This is my favorite thing, especially as a real estate investor that has aspirations to be a passive investor. I want it all to be able to be handled on my phone. And I can do that with a veil, which is awesome. So if you want to check it out, I highly recommend pop over to Instagram, go in my bio, click on the link, and right at the top, you're going to see my favorite you know, landlord software right at the top called a veil. Please go check it out. Hey, everybody. It's Sarah, and I'm here with Sasha today. And I'm super excited because this lady does has kids like me. So we also like already have a best friend connection and invest in a really high cost of living city. And so I really, really wanted to bring her on or I guess kind of a state city state. Do you have properties all over Hawaii or where where are your houses? I guess we'll start there. Where do you invest and tell them about like where your properties are? Okay. Hello. Aloha. My name is Zasha. I live and invest on Maui in Hawaii. Um, I do have nine rental properties right now. They're all here. Um, and I also have uh, six projects, six flip projects going on as well. I have not invested out of state yet. Um, it's kind of a little bit out of my comfort zone, but not to say that I'm not open to it. That's amazing. I also don't invest out of state, but also if if you figure out like what works in your area, I don't really, especially if you have that many flips going on, I'm just amazed because I think people will climb out of the woodwork to tell you like, you cannot make it happen in Hawaii and you're in Maui, which is like a pretty well-known, pretty like booming part of Hawaii is my understanding. I know a little bit from bigger pockets, like they hype up Maui all the time. <laughs> yes, it is, it is a beautiful place to live and it's not too big. Like there's other islands like Oahu that um, has over a million people. Um, it gets a little way more crowded actually, but our beaches are nice. You can still walk to a lot of places. There's a lot of parking, which seems to be an issue in bigger cities. Um, but yeah, Maui just is beautiful mountain to the ocean. That's amazing. I, um, yeah, I've never been to Hawaii. It is now on my bucket list. If I make it there, I'm definitely coming to Maui and visiting you and just like trying to creep on like all of my favorite people I follow on social media, like have places in Maui. Literally, I think all of bigger pockets people are moving here or live here at some point. And even Oprah lives here. So, um, also 
there we go. I don't think she's going to let us in, but we can try. And I think, do you ever follow Jenna Kutcher online? She's like an Instagram guru. Anyway, she has a place on Maui, also an Airbnb visit. And so I'm like, I'm going to go stock her house as well because she just seems very relatable. <laughs> so she has a podcast called Gold Digger, which I really appreciate that she like talks about women who are going after businesses and things. So, but yeah, so tell me how you got into real estate because you had like the big day job prior to this investing journey. Right. So tell us a little bit about like your educational journey and then how you decided, like, I don't need UW two job. Let's do real estate full-time. Like that's a big jump. So coming from Maui and uh, knowing that I had to get into a career that was high paying was always at the forefront of my mind. Um, and so when I went to college, you know, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, uh, but I did know that I liked helping people. So I worked as a counselor for the College of Engineering and my boss made me realize like, Hey, you're helping all these engineers with their homework. You know, when you're supposed to, it was all about retention, helping them with their grades. And so from there I took a few classes and I really liked the straightforwardness of, uh, math, like one plus one is two, like, yep. is that, you know, in psychology, it's like, this, is the sky blue or is it green or, you know, yeah, so they're very are, subjective. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I definitely found out, um, that I did like just the straightforwardness of how math could be mm-hmm. and graduated with a bachelor's in civil engineering, moved home, um, worked as a civil engineer for 10 years. And w- during my journey, I had bought a house for me and my mom and we had sold that house when I got married and we both made 150,000 each. And I was like, Oh my gosh, how much? Yeah taxes am I going to have to pay on this? And because it was our primary residence, we lived there two out of the last five years. Yeah, um, yeah. You didn't have to pay anything. And that was shocking to me. I had no, you know, even yeah. though I was an engineer and all that, I had no financial backing or realized the power of real estate. Um, they don't teach you this because no. I have like all the business degrees. <laughs> so also like fellow woman in STEM because I do genetics for the day job. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, like I was like, we have so much in common. This is going to be way too much fun to talk to you because I'm like, they just don't teach you anything. I'm like, I literally did my MBA and you don't know anything about like your income caps. Like if you are a single woman and you're making $250,000, like you have to, you can make up to 250,000 selling a property. If it's your primary residence, you've lived two out of five years. So I just want to repeat that. If people are new to real estate investing, that that's a thing, give that a Google if you're interested. So that's a great, like getting started. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I like to share because a lot of people don't realize it that two out of the five primary home yeah yeah definitely a good benefit and so after that me and my husband had bought a fixer um because the price range at that point it was like 2017 2018 mm-hmm. like a medium house price was like 600 700 000. and so he is a um, self-employed as well he runs his own plumbing company and i was a civil engineer but even though we both had really good jobs it was like dude, at that price point, if something happens to near you, like, you know, yeah. we might be out of a house. So we ended up buying a fixer uh, for like 400,000, put 80 grand into the renovations. I went to the bank and I was just like, you know, my bank account was dwindling. I talked <laughs> to the seller and I was like, oh my gosh, I just spent all this money on my house. And it's actually supposed to be saving me money, but I just spent all this money. And she's like, well, why don't you pull it out? I was like, what is that? What does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> And so she told me about, you know, they could, uh, we could 
cash out or we could do a HELOC. And so that kind of just blew my mind as well um, to know that you could use the equity from your home. And so we ended up doing that cash out refi, got all our money back. And I looked at my husband, and I was like, we got to get into this somehow, like figure out how we can do this again. And um, I was working my full-time job and was like, okay, let, right? we watch all the shows, we can do this. So we started off yeah. with this small condo um, and we were working nights and weekends there and both of us worked full-time. So it was definitely hard because we did have the kids already. So we mm-hmm. were juggling that balance and then also, you know, not spending that much time together. So once we did our first flip, he, we kind of took a step back and was like, okay, is, do we want to do this all the time? Like we have no time together. Um, and then when we sold it, we netted a hundred thousand. We're like, yep, we're going to do this again. <laughs> <laughs> you made a hundred thousand dollars on your condo that you bought together. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. So it, it was eye opening um, to see how much money we could make in a short amount of time. It was, so it took us 30 days to renovate and we did hire out contractors like painters. My husband didn't do all the work, um, but we did a lot of, you know, like the demo part and things like that. But in, I think it took us 15 days to sell to a cash buyers, people who were retiring, who wanted to move here. Yeah. And then just realized, That's amazing. Okay, I know yeah. So for our first one, we did pretty good. And, and I was thinking, okay, maybe this just luck, you know, we just found that yeah. banging deal that once in a lifetime, and I was on bigger pockets at that time, just browsing through the site and being like, okay, now let's try to see if this rental thing works, bought a rental and had really good tenants, inherited them, was cash flowing about $500 a month. Um, and from there, it just kind of took on a life of its own. When I was at work, I was just constantly thinking about real estate. I could not get my mind off of, you know, buying more properties or I was just consumed by it, listening to podcasts while I was like doing my work. Um, same. Yeah, that's kind of how I got started. And I felt bad for my employer, but I had let them know, like, uh, you know, like, I feel like my life is going in a different direction. But they're like, no, you just stay, you know, stick it out. You already made 10 years, you know, in um, yeah. another 25 years, you can retire. Like, 25 years. Oh my God. <laughs> and then you choked a little bit. And they're like thinking it's good. Like, you're retired right? so comfortably. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know so, how much, like, do you mind sharing, like, how much you made, like, in your end when you were an engineer? Like, because it's really hard when you get like a high paying, like a good job to like walk away from that and do real estate. So, so. I was only actually making 70,000 a year. Um, yeah. And so that's why when we made, you know, a hundred thousand in 45 yeah. days, I was like, what am I doing? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> then you're like, okay, that's a little easier to leave. Right. Yeah. And you think like engineer, you get paid a lot. And I worked my way up to project manager. So I had my professional engineering license. Like I had all these years under my belt, but it just didn't pay as much as, you know, other type. Yeah. 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 That's fascinating. Okay. So your first rental property, you had $500 a month cash flow. Is that like all your numbers? Like these are your numbers person. So I'm sure you're doing like all of it because I'm like, that's fascinating to be in Hawaii and cash flowing $500 a month. Do you remember yes. your numbers from that deal? Yeah. Like how much so you bought it for and all of that good stuff. I bought it for 95,000. Um, I actually didn't put any money into it because it, there was already tenants in there. It was listed at 120. So it was definitely in like a C minus D class um, mm-hmm. apartment complex for Maui, like for yeah. Maui standards. It's still right across the ocean and all that, but right. <laughs> yeah. Um, Your D neighborhood's like a little right. different than mine would probably. <laughs> but there are a lot of like um, 
tenants that have HUD or Section 8 who right. live there. It's a little bit more run down. Uh, but it was a safe bet for us because of the price point, the buy-in um, was low. So we figured, okay, we can kind of, you know, work this out. Um, at the time I was getting about $1,400 a month in mm -hmm. rent. And then I believe the HOA was probably around 500 at that time. Um, and then, you know, CapEx reserves, you know, yeah. take it down to five. Um, but yeah, so everything I was wondering about your out. HOAs. That's next because I'm like, we've done two condos. We need to circle back to the fact that you aren't afraid of HOAs, apparently. Because I'm like, this yeah. is something that everyone buzzes about. Well, first of all, you're now debunking two things because first of all, you're like high cost of living area. And then also with kids, I guess there's three. And then condos with HOAs. And like you're just doing it, which is awesome. Yeah, so and I feel like if you stay in tune, especially if you have rentals or long-term holds, you go to all the meetings. I mean, everybody, all the owners are always fight with the, you know, <laughs> increasing the HOA, but then you realize, okay, it's going to increase your value as well if they fix elevators and, you know, make the grounds nicer. So just to take that into account and rent is always rising like every year. So all the tenants in there, I mean, because most of them are um, on section eight, they just mm -hmm. are already covered every year when you renew the lease um, right. for that bump up. So that's awesome. So yeah, I'm very interested in section eight. I don't know how much is like around, but I think that's fascinating too. I love that area. I got really hooked on like a bigger pockets episode where they did only section eight tenants. And I think it's amazing because they talked about like, it's hard to find like nicer properties that will offer for section eight. And they can just like always fill them with like the best applicants from section eight, which is awesome. Yeah. And I, over here too, it's hard for people that have the voucher to find some place to rent because people stigma and then too a lot of people don't claim the income or don't like to claim the rent yeah so I I love it because it's consistent my tenants um, that have section eight only pay like a couple hundred so even if they couldn't pay for that month and say their rent is like you know for a three bedroom over here is probably around 26 2700 mm -hmm. you're only out like a hundred or so but you're still getting majority um, yeah so because during COVID, I think a lot of the Section 8 landlords looked really great right right then because you have guaranteed income from the government now, barring any like what government decides. So there's pros and cons, I think, to both. But I just thought that was fascinating, too. I'm like, so when everyone's freaking out about, you know, like not getting rent collected, you know that at least some of your properties or all of your properties, Section 8, or just some? No, like majority of them are, but there's some um, that are just regular tenants but it all goes with the vetting, right? Because a lot of people right. are worried about Section 8 and, you know, they're in a place, the typical um, sayings, but it really is dependent on the person and how you do the background check, you know, um, call their landlord, their last landlords and do all the vetting that you need to do anyway. But yeah. now they just have help as well. Right. Like there's human beings that are in all sections. Like I'm sure there's people who would afford like the very expensive places and trash your house and there's people in section eight that'd probably be extremely clean so I don't know I hate grouping people together but I'm a millennial yeah. and we get all the hate so I'm just like no no <laughs> we're not grouping people as humans like yes. there's individual people in all groups that you know you need to vet so do you guys self-manage your properties or do you yes yeah. yeah so I love that part and maybe because I only have nine um units that 
I like to be connected because I do feel like we put a lot of ourselves into the homes. It takes so much effort to find them on um, the flips as well. But then if you're keeping it long term, it's just you want to put somebody in there that, you know, will appreciate it. And because I've, I've grown up here um, and raised here, I just feel such a connection. And when I meet people, I don't know, I, I can feel their. I don't know if this sounds weird, like feel their vibe. Yeah. But, <laughs> and but I we, know like. Yeah. You know, even if I choose them um, and they fit all the boxes, like, and it doesn't work out, like, at least I know I did my best um, on my part and feel good about it in, at the end and not just kind of handing it over. Do you still, with nine units, do you still have like very long, like lull periods or are you always, well, you have flips going on, I guess. How are your, are your rentals getting any more passive now that you've figured out like systems and things? Yeah, of course. Well, we just every time I'm trying to add units. So I also do um, ADUs or DADUs or whatever they call them. We call them yeah. Ohana's over here, but it's just a separate house from the main house or turning yeah. the main house into two different units. So I do a lot of that. So I feel like it's constantly, each property is kind of building, moving to its next stage. And so right now I'm planning to build uh, on two of my properties, two eighty detached dwellings um, on yeah. the property so now it's just that planning and process that I do with my flips anyway so it's just continuing growing so are you building are you building the ADUs or are they just like plop down on your property like are they like a bring it in and sit it down or are you like stick building it because I okay but I'm thinking about doing this to my own property so I want to pick your brain on how you are doing it so definitely you have to find out how much it is. So we were thinking about, okay, what if we just demo a house? And this is for one of our flips was, why don't we just demo the house and then put, it's called a Fabmax fabricated um, three bedroom home. And I think yeah, it came out to like 340 or 350 just for the home itself. And yeah. so when I, when I went back and thought about the labor and materials that it actually takes to build that same house, it's probably like around 200. Yeah. So, Ooh, okay. That's like a big difference, right? Um, yeah. But you save a lot more time. So I choose to build and then also I can build it how I want. So if later on I wanted to turn it into multiple units or, you know, configure the lot differently, then I have that choice. This is so fun. So how big, like, so what is your criteria when you're shopping for houses? Because you're going to need like more land or more space or something in order to put these like ADUs on them or like separate driveways? Like, how are you, like, how do you think about the properties I you're always buying? Pick like, yeah. So I like to pick um, corner units because mm -hmm. then you could put a driveway on one, one street and then another one on another. Yeah. And then I also over here, if your lot is 7,500 square feet um, or bigger, you can actually put two um, Ohanas or two detached dwellings as well as have the main house. So those are some things I look for as well to just maximize the lot potential. Yeah. And this is the fun stuff to me that no one talks about because people are always like, I don't know, like a three bed, one bath. I'm like, no, no. Like, are there weird specific things you look for in a property? Because I'm like actively searching for like houses with walkout basements where I can put a second driveway in. And so a corner lot's a really great idea because I've heard people be like, oh, stay away from corner lots if you're a flipper. Um, but that makes sense for you if you're adding another dwelling unit that you want like two, you need two ways in and out of the property because no one wants to share a driveway. And then you have yeah, to and like, this person and a lot of times, in. <laughs> like, no. Yeah, no, and it's, it's been difficult now because if even if I have one house and it's upstairs, downstairs, and it's like, okay, where is everybody parking? Yeah. Uh, so that, that corner 
unit uh, that Quinter lot alleviates that. And then um, also a lot of times there's county or state easements on Quinter mm -hmm. lot. So you actually get a like bigger lot than what your lot is that inside of that easement. But so you still have like 10 or 15 feet in front of your lot that is dedicated for that easement, but you can, you drive over it and you can use it, you know, for your property as well. Interesting. That's fascinating. But of course, you know, check with your state and county rules yes. and regulations. Like it's all yeah. state dependent, everything that I'm talking about. Yeah. Because the 75,000 is going to be so specific for where you live. Like where I live, I live in Indiana where like, they don't have rules. So I'm like, they're like, do whatever. <laughs> I mean, I still like have a planning department, like call your building department. So I, in the due diligence period, which you can probably talk about is you do this a lot more. I always like make calls to the like, like building department and be like, Hey, this is what I plan to do with the property. Are you guys going to like, let me get permits on this? Like, can I add a second unit? Will you come and like hunt me down and tell me I can't do that? Well, and, and here too, we have a lot of like special management areas. So if you're so far away from the ocean or if it's in a flood zone, you know, there's a lot of specific rules that even if your property meets the criteria of that 7,500 square feet, it also depends on the zoning as well. Yeah. So check with zoning, check with building departments. I also learned that there's a ridiculous amount of like fire code things that you have to hit on. Um, and that was eye-opening to me because I was like worried about them even allowing me to do the duplex. And they were like, yeah, that's fine. Like make your single family home a duplex, but like, let me give you this like laundry list of fire code things you have to, so I ended up like, it equaled me demoing out the entire ceiling and putting in a new ceiling because it required a specific kind of drywall. And so it's like little things like that, where I'm like, that's going to be so like locally specific and yeah. And I'm guessing you have fire code things too from their reaction. So you learn all the things. It's fascinating. Yeah. So. And then you think, okay, I'm just going to upgrade one thing. And then you end up having to upgrade a lot of different things. We just recently um, turned, yeah, turned a single family into a duplex and they made us put like two big cement um, electric boxes and upgrade the meter. And it was like, yeah. there's nothing you can really do at that point. You just got to follow through because the permits already been issued. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the inspection part. And I would just want to share with you too. I just closed out September 30th. 2021, uh, close out a permit that I've been working on since October 31st of 2018. So, Yay. okay. And you did a post about this, right? So I saw this and I was, yes. I was Instagram stalking you prior to this meeting today. And I saw this and you're like in your due diligence period, like check for, you said open permits. So I don't think yes. this is quite the same, like where I live, like permits expire after so much time. So tell me about your permit thing and caveat. This is specific to Hawaii, but something to keep in mind, like just do your due diligence is, but I'm curious to hear about like, how do you have a permit open since 2018? I know. No. So we had bought a foreclosure, um, at the end of 2018 and we had no idea it had an expired permit. We didn't know to check, you know, I was just starting out in real estate. Um, so we went through the whole renovation process since we were just doing the inside, um, to pull permits for that home but once they seen you know the big red bin yeah. um, construction trash um the, like hey what are you doing <laughs> yeah, i was like there's an expired permit on this house that you need to close you know before you can move it's going to be an after the fact permit at this point uh, but you need to get this closed and so we're okay we're still able to get like the mortgage on the property um and refinance and do a bunch of other stuff so they didn't care about closing the permit it was more just the building department and if you don't close it if you don't take any action then they start fining you by the day so you definitely oh don't want to fall into that category but 
because uh, our home, it was, it's up country. So it's like kind of on a mountain. And so they still were on cesspools. Mm-hmm. And so I went back and forth with um, Department of Health um, because they said, oh, you got to do a septic tank. I looked at the price. It was like 25,000. I was like, um, do I really have to do that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is there any options? And so we're going back and forth for a few months. Um, and then even with zoning, they had an of the house and it showed like a building in the back of our home. I said, no, there's nothing there. Like you can come out and look. So coordinating with them to come out took a couple months. And finally I was like, okay, what can I do to prove to you that there's no other building on our lot? They're like, oh, we'll just go from every corner and take pictures and bring it to us. I was like, could somebody have told me that in the beginning? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So it just, it's just a lot of coordination here. And, and in Maui, I don't know if anybody else is in a small town, but it tends to be very slow. Um, mm-hmm. them to get the paperwork together from one built, you know, one department to the next, to the next. So I constantly was going down there like, okay, did, did somebody sign this? Can I take this to, you know, um, zoning? Can I take this back to the department? Like, what can I do to make this um, move faster? So we finally got to the um, electrical permit. We're trying to close that portion of the building permit. Um, they were like, oh, we got to open up walls. And I was like, oh my God. Oh gosh. Did you really have <laughs> to open up walls? No. So we signed like a, a, what's it called? We signed a whole harmless agreement stating that we take all responsibility. If there's a fire or anything that happens in a home, you know, it's on us and not the county. So that was interesting. And they still were like, oh, well, we still got to do some inspections. I don't know. It, it was just a, finally, the building inspector, I was like, look, it, I have right here, it says from 2018, like we've been trying our best <laughs> to follow all the rules and can you just please close yeah. it? So good thing while I was gone, you know, they had wrapped it up and um, now we're able to now build a detached dwelling because you got to close the first permit in order to open another permit. Interesting. Very cool. Yeah. So, so we decided super to relieved. like turn a new leaf. Yeah. <laughs> right. We're living there now. We're kind of forced to keep it for a couple of years. So it's like actually a blessing too, because now we could sell it. And, you know, since we live there, yep. the mm-hmm. yep. so you got to get your two years in and then go right. from there. Very nice. So talk about how you've been like financing and funding the deal. So it sounds like you started out with your, I mean, we could go way back if we wanted to like your very first property when you walked away with like, was that like an FHA loan or was that like a, just a conventional mortgage? Like the very first house you bought, like you and your mom lived in. Yeah, if it's, it was an FHA loan, so the three, nice. three and a half percent. Yeah, so three and a half percent down on, you said like a $600,000 house? Oh, that or is that the next that, one? Yeah, yeah. So the first one is, I believe around 350. It was like when the, I think I bought it in like 20, 2009. So okay. Like, yeah. Yeah. So in the dip kind of in real estate. So a good Don't time to buy all a house. wish we bought way more. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. So you kind of watched everyone like post 2008 and then 2009, you bought your first house and then it appreciated enough in those last couple of years. So then you get like your hundred thousand dollar check. Did you use that to buy the condo then? Or did you like finance that again with like a lower money down? Yes. That's that. Um, and then from there, we uh, started using private money. So okay. other investors, I was going to meetups, um, meeting other people, who were active in the community and from there just through relationships. So um, I had never used hard money up until a few months ago. Nice. <laughs> and yeah. I, I didn't know. So uh, when I was talking about private money and, and using it a lot and people were 
um, talking about hard money, it was hard for me to really, really were asking me questions. I was like, I don't know what that means. Um, yeah. But it's definitely a lot easier to deal with private money because it's more relationship based than hard yeah. money. Uh, you know, you have to still come up with a certain percentage. And then if you do uh, borrow the renovation funds, then you have to also pay, you know, pay for them to come out and inspect and you only get certain amount of money released, you know, per phase mm -hmm. from my understanding. But yeah, I haven't ever I done hard money yet. And like private right. money is like the easiest thing in the world because you just like, it's like, there's no rules. It's like you just set your own terms. Yeah. So when my main private money lender now, I met him at um, actually a flip that an on-market foreclosure that we both do. And so we know each other and be like, hey, are you are you going to um, put in an offer on this flip? Where are you at? And, you know, kind of fill yeah. each other out. And so our numbers are really similar um, in the fact that we're both really conservative. And so from there, that kind of uh, we built that bond together to where we trusted each other's numbers and how open we were was really amazing too and so he's older than me and um he has a few properties and so he was like oh yeah um i might be looking to lend you know i'm, I'm kind of anything is like a little it's a little much for me right now and so i was like i'll take your money if you want. <laughs> like please give me your money but right? i'm gonna yeah. sound, i'm gonna no, sound calm so, about this <laughs> yeah and so it was just building that rapport um to where we could joke around but then seriously we knew each other you know kind of how we would work deals. Exactly. So and how many, how many deals have you done with him? Do you know? Um, I think this, I'm closing on my fourth one with him. That's so exciting. Yeah. yeah. I've done two with my private money lender. I am poking and prodding with two other possible private money lenders and we'll see how that goes. So TBD on that, but I, I don't like doing partnerships. Like I just, I hate the idea. Like I want these to all be mine. Like for better or worse, like these is like my kingdom. Like I just like want to be like all of, everything you see here is mine. So I'm like, who wants to just like give me money? I'll promise I'll give it back. <laughs> so yeah, that's so my private, yeah, my private money, my private money lender, uh, my main guy is definitely uh, based on percentage. So we don't do equity split or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and it's just agreed upon, you know, because he knows too how much work goes into it, and even just finding the deal. That's how we're working things right now, and. I think too, he's kind of waiting to see how the market turns. Like everybody is kind of waiting it out. So in the meantime, he's just, you know, making some interest on the money. And then when a good yep. opportunity comes up, then he's, he'll probably flip it into that. Yep. So how did you decide to do like, it sounds like you're doing more flips than rentals. How did you decide like which route to go? Like flipping is fun, but I hear it's a job, but I guess like you don't have your W2. So to me, I'm like, flipping that many houses gives me like extreme anxiety. Like I can feel my blood pressure rising, but I'm like, that also like, is probably your love language because this is like what you do. So <laughs> right. no. And that's the, that's the thing about it is like, I would love to do more rentals. Um, however, you know, the refinance process takes so long that by the time you try to get your money, it's just a timing thing at this point. So I've decided um, to partner more. So if somebody brings a deal, or um, a lot of my deals have recently come from agents, um, pocket listings and things like that. So prior to hitting the market, they did, you know, like, hey, I have this, you know, fixer coming on, do you want to put in a bid? And I've been able to secure um, seller financing and work with sellers. So I've been recently doing a lot of creative financing things, like nice. uh, the seller will keep 
their house in their name. I'll bring the renovation funds and then we sell as partners together. Um, and that's been really nice not to have to come up with a big chunk of money. Yeah. I would like that. I think I can handle that level of partnership because it's kind of like owner finance where like you own the house. I would like to sell your house and renovate it and I can bring the money to do that. Right. And at that point, it's like you're working like a renovation company than like, you know, having to go through all the steps as an investor. So I kind of like that, but it also is uh, dependent on the seller. So you have to have a level of trust, right? Because right. At, at some point they could be like, oh, wow, you just fixed up my house, spent all this Keep yeah it, you know <laughs> yeah that would be a little terrifying <laughs> no takes backs so like that can. is a yes there is definitely um, more risk in that but you can sign a power of attorney you can put a lien on the property is which is i did and then we also signed an agreement so if they didn't sign the paperwork to sell it at the end i mean you could always sue them but of course that's a lot of work and yeah responsibility yeah I was gonna say at this point I think when you get into seller financing like lawyers are required I would mm-hmm. guess yeah that's because it sounds like you have good contracts so that's what like protects you in these situations is they can't just like it's not like on a piece of paper that you've decided Decide. on this agreement so I think that's kind of another part we talked about like I just did an episode with um Bonnie Gallum like on mm-hmm. Monday and she's a, an attorney and we were talking all about like doing contracts and things I'm like so this is up my alley because I rarely use lawyers in real estate but I think I'm getting into part like more partnership type stuff possibly but I'm still trying to stay in the private money vein but we'll see how that goes um because I just want to keep buying houses and I'm out of money so that's right. always the fun thing that's everybody's struggle I feel like that I talk to so yeah And a lot of people are like, oh, how do you manage so many things going on? And it definitely is partnerships. Like that's how I'm scaling. Of course, you make less because then you have to split, but that's fine. I'm fine with that if that means less stress for me and I can have more of that work-life balance on the daily. Yeah. And so are you pretty much burring all of your deals? Is that how you keep funding the next or like at least partly funding like your rehabs and things? So Yeah. So for my rentals, well, my rentals, I get... uh, I try to get the full private money and then um, burr it out, pay them now, and then hopefully get a little bit of cash on top of that too. But yeah. I'm able to almost do full burrs on most of my properties. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I did my first and only burr thus far and I left with like a thousand dollar check and I was just like amazed that someone paid me money to like refinance the house. I'm like, it worked, but I mean, it's a thousand dollars. Like, what are you going to go do? Like buy myself a nice dinner? No, <laughs> but I mean- it's just cool to see it work, I guess, after following so many accounts that do big bird deals. So that's essentially bird my house hack that I'm living in right now. So what's your average rehab? Like a hundred thousand ish? Well, I guess if you're selling million dollar homes, you do want it to be. Yeah. So it's probably about 150 to 250. I would say is that it's a median rehab. That's crazy. So definitely burring to get money back out to like keep affording the rehab. So when you do the private money lenders, are they lending to buy the property and the rehab both now, or are you funding your own rehabs? No. So they, they fund the purchase price and the rehab, and okay. then they just get paid back on the refi. Yeah. With interest. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because I've done it now both ways. So I've done it where they financed the rehab and the house. Then I've done it once where they just finance buying the property. And then I put my own cash in to rehab, but my own cash in was like 26,000, not it's just a little bit more yeah I like a little bit different (laughs) mind paying a little bit more so I use none of my own money because now I own you know a few properties I'd rather have my money sit and or if there is another good deal out there 
that I can, you know, jump on it with my own money if needed. However, um, my first option is always other people's money for the entire deal. Yep. Yeah. That's a really good idea. Are you still using HELOCs at all? So I know at one point you said you took out like a, or no, you did a cash out refi. You didn't do a HELOC, did you? Yeah. So I've done HELOCs as well. I own a few condos and I have HELOCs on that. And I like recently they've been doing more longer term ones. So Mm -hmm. I just locked in one. um, I think it's like at 2.8% before I know you could lock in at like that smaller interest rate only for a couple of years and then it go variable. So that's why I kind of stayed away from it because I knew I was always going to be using that money that I got back to buy more rentals or go into the rentals and wait while that for a process happens because um, yep. they don't get private money for the condos that I buy. I mostly get them for the homes because they're so expensive. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. Okay. So because I've heard, so Felipe and I are buddies. I don't know. Do you, you've, so he's going to have you on his podcast. Hopefully. He's a pro. I know he's pro HELOC. He is that, pro but. HELOC, but he <laughs> talked about how he's doing like this fixed rate HELOCs also. And I haven't found anyone that does it. I haven't shopped very hard yet either. But that's like next on my list once I um, get my like refi of my duplex done and pay my private money lender off. I need to shop for this. So you're saying it's a little easier to come by from what you've found. So that's good because I was like, I don't think these exist where I live or at least I'm not asking the right people. So I'm shopping. Well, what I've what I found um, where I'm at is that it's easier to qualify for a refinance than it is for a HELOC. Like they ask for a little bit more paperwork or your DTI is a little different um, and mm-hmm. you can do it with your banks as well, but that's why I don't, I opt for cash out refi first. And then if there's still equity left then I'll try to get a HELOC. But I found for me, because I'm doing so many deals that they're a little bit more strict with the HELOCs um, mm-hmm. than the refinances for my situation. Interesting. Yeah. I, well, I guess I'm do all portfolio loans. So my DTI doesn't matter, but I also like back it with my W2 job. So that helps too. Like banks are like, sure, take my money. <laughs> so that helps. But I mean, I think people can do portfolio loans still because that doesn't like hit my DTI because you're on the commercial side then. And I don't have seasoning periods, which is pretty cool. So that might be, that's like 2.0. I'm just converting everyone to the beauty of portfolio loans, but then you get the high interest rate. Right. So I've done, I've done that uh, recently. Um, However, they were like, oh yeah, there's no seasoning period. And they were like one of the only banks here that didn't have one. And so I started like maybe two months in and it still took them four months to close it out. So I was like, well, I might as well at that point I'm at six months already. So it definitely, you know, they had told me, and maybe it was because everybody was refinancing at that time, you know, during the pandemic, they were fully overloaded with work, but yeah. yeah, The the other thing I will notice too. So you have to find like small local banks, which I'm guessing is where you went. And then they do work at their own rate of speed. Like whatever, like Joe is on vacation, like they'll get back with you and you're like, okay, well, I know it's like a privately held, like at your bank. So you have to like go to your board of advisors and if half of your advisors are like in Florida for Christmas, like they can't help me (laughs) get So you're a little subjective to the perks of you have a good relationship with the lender downside. Like, yeah, you're kind of subjective to whatever they get around to it. So I haven't had to take that long. I send them like 30, 30 emails a day. So they love me. Yeah, no, I'm like on a first name date. Like I, when I answer the phone, I'm like, Hey, Colin. And they're like, Hey, Sarah, like, you know, the sound of my voice. I'm like, this is getting bad. Right. Is there any move? 
Pokemon on my loan? Oh, it's same as yesterday. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which just reminded me that I need to go poke my like home inspector. Like he called me when I was at um, FinCon and was like, oh, I'm going to come out and do your inspection soon. And it's been crickets. And I think it's almost been two weeks now. So I need to be like, hey friend, what are you doing? But the same thing, it's a portfolio loan. And it's like, this is our guy. We use him all the time. Like, here you go. So it's, it's fun, but it's like a whole new world, but the interest rates are interesting, but yeah. So I guess that's the downside. I will, I should track how long it's taking me because yes, no seasoning period, but I guess they'll season it however they want to with their own sweet time. (laughs) So, okay. So you're at four or so you're at nine doors, right. That you're buy and hold investing. Like you're not flipping. Okay. And so do you know what you're like, are you, are you going like financial independence? Is that kind of a goal with this? Or are you just like building out? Like, what's your goal with real estate? Like, are you trying to get to like a certain income number or like, where are you at with your units? Like how many do you want? What's that going to look like? I'm shooting to get to $20,000 net um, passive income a month, however that looks. And so right now I'm about at 10. Um, so really shooting to get to that, that next number by next year. Yeah. In my mind, if I do number, so we must do numbers similarly because in my mind, like nine to 10 is about 10,000 a month. Like, yeah. Yeah. So that's so. what I shoot for, for my um, units is either between five to a thousand um, in cash flow. Yeah. Because you're adding all those ADUs and things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Okay. I'm about to go like stick a tiny house on my property. So my house, I live <laughs> on an acre and I'm like, there's so much land. I should stick some stuff on it. I've also thought about like pouring myself some like RV parking spaces and like doing some cookups. Um, but I haven't decided which route I want to go yet. So I've been plotting that for a while now. I know I've been thinking about that. Um, but we live on a small, like, well, our lot is pretty it's like 8,000 square feet. I'm like, babe, we could add like two more. And he's like, it's going to be right outside our bedroom window. Like, can we just have some peace? <laughs> he's put up with me for this long. And you right. know, I've got it, I've got it in a pretty good place right now. Um, we yeah. just did our uh, like calculations and because homes are so expensive here, we're basically, you know, are like net millionaires. And I'm like, that's so That's weird amazing. to say. It's, yeah. it's so weird, but it's, you know, I mean, if a house, average house here is a million dollars, you own a few and then, you know, minus the loans, right. you're a millionaire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think my goal is to be there in a couple of years. So I'm like, I don't remember where I'm at right now. I'm trying to wait for like all my divorce stuff to shuffle out before I like yeah. actually know my net worth because I'm like, there's money sitting somewhere that I don't have yet. And so that's when we put into a house and it's amazing because you can leverage so much and you've equity built in and 2021 has been a good year to a lot of people. So I think it'll be fun to see how that goes, but it's amazing once you just like consistently put in the time. So yeah. Oh, and we were talking about mindset earlier too. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No. So I just quit my job last year. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like it's been forever, but, um, it took me, I mean, we started, we did the first flip and rental in 2019. Um, and so it took me a year just to get my mind on that path to where like, okay, I know I can be consistent with this, but you know, the stability of my job, we get health insurance and with my kids, it's predictable, you know, versus all this extra time that we don't really know, um, where life is going to go with this flipping thing. It's, it wasn't that 
it wasn't like I was like, oh, I'm going to be a flipper and be a rental property, you know, landlord. It was more so like, oh, okay, we tried it out. This is cool. Where is it going? Yeah. Um, and so it wasn't until my husband was like, you should, you really need to quit your job. Like we're doing, you know, more flips. You're making money. You're making way more money doing this and at your job and you're miserable. You're spending 60 to 70 hours a week on a $70,000 salary. Um, mm-hmm. And it just seems like it's so it's weighing on you. Yeah. So I like, no, but health insurance, he's like, how much is health insurance really? And I was like, oh, yeah. well, for us, it's 1700 a month. Um, cause we got the best like family plan. And he's like, you're letting $1,700 a month stop you from living the life, um, that you want and yep. choosing to be free. And I was like, damn it. You're good. <laughs> I was so like, all right. You're like, I might keep you around. Right. <laughs> so um, he was really the push um, and that got me thinking differently. And then at the end of 2020, I joined uh, Steve Rosenberg's, um, yeah. what was, what was his thing called? Oh, Think Tank Mastermind. Think Tank Mastermind. Yeah. And yes. like all of Ashley's posts on the Think Tank Mastermind. Yeah. Yeah. So him and Ashley were kind of headed that group. And so I joined that and really I was kind of like, I just can do one project at a time. Like I can, you know, kind of move at that pace. That's all I can handle. And so with Steve, just working on our mindset, working on the limiting beliefs, he's like, you can do anything that you put your mind to. I was like, I know everybody always says that, but truly it is what you believe. So in the morning I started doing, you know, affirmations and uh, really working on living my life and my day-to-day intentionally writing out everything I was going to do, writing out all of my goals for the year and just setting that intention right in the beginning, right when I wake up and then also exercising because I was like, yeah, I don't have time. I don't have time. And he's like, well, you make time, you get less sleep, wake up earlier. Like it's that easy. And okay. <laughs> well, I need, I need that, that advice right now because I've been plotting to work out for like three months now. <laughs> Yeah. So I tell them that I currently use a drying rack. That's not acceptable. <laughs> get on it. It's almost the end of the year. But um, so my whole thing was uh, because I was already kind of getting up early anyway for work. And because I'm in Hawaii, everybody's East Coast. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, right now it's, you know, it's 3.30 here. So weird. Yeah. <laughs> what time is it there? Eight something. Yeah. 9.30. Yeah. See the time difference. Yeah. The one I'm getting up, everybody's kind of like winding down kind of throughout their day. So I started getting up at four and then, you know, gradually now it's four 30, but I just make myself do it because I'm like, okay, I need my me time. I need time to plan because I don't want to be rushing throughout the day. If I wake up at six and it's like, get the kids ready. Now I'm just rushing. And it's like, okay, what did I have to do again today? And it's already, you know, 10 AM, you know? So I like the fact that when you do get up early, you plan out your day, you write your affirmations, you put your beliefs out there and intention. Um, you have more confidence as well to, to do things. How many hours do you sleep at night? Just trying to like logistically, <laughs> no, I think I need to do this because I've been like hating on the morning routine, but I'm like, so you nailed it because you're like, you get up, you get the kids out and you just feel rushed and your whole day feels like it's ran away from you. And you're like your job, like for some reason it's like 11 o'clock. Like I always look at the clock at 11. I'm like, how in the hell is it 11 o'clock? And you're like, where is my day gone and what's happening? And I just feel like I've been in this rut of my day running away from me for like 
a few months now. So tell me, how do I get out of this cycle? <laughs> you set your alarm. So it's hard in the beginning, right? Because you're used to going to sleep later because that's when you are catching up with your date. You're catching it up to it like nine, 10 o'clock at night. So yeah. essentially I try to go to sleep with my kids or around the same times as my kids. So around nine, 10 o'clock. Okay. And then I wake up at four, four thirty. And I said, you know, like everybody else, I set a bunch of alarms and then I think, okay, in order for me to get an hour workout in, or like, I just straight get up, put on my clothes, brush my teeth, go work out. Like, I don't even think about what I need to do next. It's like, because if I start on my to-do list or checking my emails, then I won't get to work out. And yeah. for me, it's, it's really a must because I'm, I feel less stressed. You get your endorphins out. Some people drink coffee and stuff, you know, but I have to go and work out and then I plan my day. But, but lately, like coffee is not doing it for me. Either I'm a coffee addict and have a problem or like, I just feel exhausted still. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like I'm getting my eight hours. Like there's something missing. And that's where I've been like, I need to start intentionally working out. So I'm going to like hashtag you and like, and be like the Sasha morning. I don't know. <laughs> like so we were so in that group, we had it, it was called the morning routine for success Yeah, uh, because it literally, I mean, it changed everybody's day. It, yeah. It's crazy how that works. And you're already setting your mind to believe that I'm going to, I'm going to get a contract today. I'm going to get a, a bird today. I'm going to meet a seller and it's going to be the perfect one. I'm going to make that phone, phone call. And, you know, you just have a lot more confidence and putting it out into the world. You just see it differently once you start something rather than like, oh, okay, I got to start calling people. I got to make, you know, following up. It's kind of like, you know, you already have a negative connotation to it versus like starting out on the positive. Yeah. Cause I'm very good about like positive affirmation, but like realistically positive, like not the toxic positive, like positivity. Like you have to walk a very fine line between like, do you actually believe the shit you're saying to yourself? And sometimes you don't. And sometimes it's like, oh my gosh, but at least you start your mindset off on the right foot. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm like, sometimes they're ridiculous. Like, I mean, I had a sticker on my desk that said like, stop hating, like you're going to love the kidneys today, which is like, okay. So for my job, like I had to like memorize like a ridiculous amount of like publications on the kidneys. And so it was a sticky note on my desk. Like you love the kidneys, which sounds stupid because I literally like hated them for a long, because I'm like, this is not my strong suit. Like out of all the organs in the body, like not my favorite, which is a really weird thing to say. I'm like, everyone has a part of their career that they don't like, but that's like my thing. And I don't hate them anymore. And, but at first I was like, this is stupid. (laughs) I'm never going to enjoy doing this. Yeah. Right. And then that's why for me too, people, you know, I do everything. So I do. I door knock, um, drive for dollars. And people are like, aren't you scared to, you know, go and approach people? And yeah, before I was, but honestly, just from doing those little mindset routines, or even when I'm in my car, before I'm going to approach a house, I just like take a deep breath. I'm like, okay, I'm here to help this person. I'm going to bring, you know, I have something to offer that will better their life. Like just little affirmations like that, that keep you in the positive instead of like, oh, shoot, I'm approaching this house. There's all these dogs. It's broken cars. Like I'm scared versus, you know, coming from a place of helping and wanting to do good in the world. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like you give like good things to the universe and it like gives good things back. Like <laughs> truly believe that. Like it's right. just awesome. So, which is very, that's a very like woo thing, but I'm just that person. So it's fine. 
fun. Yeah, well, I started even just like in the morning, just listening to meditation music. I would never do, I'm like, oh, that's such a hippie thing to do. Or, yeah. you know, I always thought that way, but I was like, you know what? There's so many um, successful people who start their morning off like this or uh, have put so much emphasis on these meditations and affirmations. So let me just try it out. It takes me a while to like get into it because I, I was never fully into it, but it honestly, it made a really huge difference in how I approach life and how I take in every day and just a lot more appreciation, I feel like. I feel like it's all a part of like being open-minded. Like I was really reluctant to like meditating and like mindset work and things because I think you think it's like a positive quote online, but it's not, it's like so much bigger than that. And so I think when you like dive fully in, you're like, okay, clearly I need to change something in my life. Like I need to, like, I'm not living the life I wanted. Like I, and you probably did it too, where you like, you have an idea about what your life was like going to look like, like what you wanted. Like I, and I just wasn't there. And so now I'm like, you get up every day to go get that person. But lately I've been feeling a little drained. So I need to get back on the horse of working out because I'm like coffee and I need to break up. Like I need less coffee, more healthy habits because this well, what's happened helped me too is prepping the night before. Right. So I already lay out my clothes or sometimes like I wear my workout clothes to bed. So I'm like, nice. <laughs> I, just I always work out in whatever t-shirt I went to bed in. Like if I do my morning <laughs> workout and like, this is fine. Just like put a sports bra underneath here. We're great. <laughs> okay. So the other thing I always pick people's brains on is like personal debt and like how you manage your personal finances. So, because I think in real estate, we're always very comfortable with like leveraging and private money and like just getting money from like whatever outlet you can pretty much to like keep building deals and building equity in your properties. And so but on your personal side, do you keep that pretty clean? Like how's, what's your like debt tolerance on the personal side, if you don't mind going there? Yeah. Um, so honestly, because me and my husband run two separate businesses, he takes care of that. I told him he pays for the now I pay for the future and our wealth and things like that. So we do have, um, a separate account just for the bills and he makes a, a decent amount of money as well. So we don't too much in the beginning when we're first starting out we definitely kept um our expenses really low and even now i think it's just growing up um you know having to struggle and go through that you're always very frugal um and so i still try to stay live way below my means uh, but as far as like keeping track of numbers and everything we don't really budget too much right now yeah honestly. and i think that's <laughs> normal for like real estate right. investors they like just live within your means. And as long as you're not like living above like that, but I mean, essentially you're living on half your income is really what you're yeah. doing, or at least, um, I'm guessing from all the real estate and stuff, if you're, you know, flipping houses, making a hundred K that's like a very, hopefully that's not like your discretionary spending budget, but I mean, so you're living on like half of what you're making roughly or less likely. So, you know, living within your means, like it doesn't, I think at some point you don't need to be granularly budgeting. I think it, kind of promote scarcity once you get to a certain level where you just like are penny pinching and doing crazy things like not getting coffee and I'm like no one's benefiting for this like my, <laughs> my quality of life will go up if I can go through the Taco Bell drive through today <laughs> so, and not stress about making dinner oh my gosh that's yes yeah. but we got honestly, yeah we just we have really no debt um we uh, I had gone to college but I had gone on um financial aid and had the Gates Millennium Scholarship. I, I was really, I actually left college 
and had like $15,000 left over because I was so frugal and they they gave me like, you know, a budget every year and I was just always lived below that. And so even with my, I think a portion of the first house that I sold, I paid off my car. So I've always been really diligent on paying off long-term debt. Right now we have our homes because we're doing the birth strategy, but even for that, we have two of our um, rentals paid off. Uh, we just kept paying afford to to either keep them like that or keep leveraging but i feel that um because we're adding additional units you know we're still trying to maximize the rent our rental portfolio um but i do like to have a couple paid off and then just see how that you know right how that goes to because at a certain point you want to just pay them down and then you'll have your cash flow number if you just pay down the ones you have. Right. Because I'm like, you could, yeah, because I know like my goal is like like 10 or so paid off because I'm like, you can double your cash flow at least by just paying off your properties. And then I'm like, and then if I I like self-managing, like I like knowing the tenants, I like finding them and putting them in there. I don't really like the service calls. Like I'm gonna figure out a way to get rid of that part. But I'm like, I actually enjoy the screening and like picking the humans that live in my houses. But I think that's because I care about my properties. And so I'm like, yeah, you got it. Like, congratulate. And it's fun for me. Um, but I, yeah, think, I think we're the same in that aspect. Like we both like picking it. And a lot of people don't like that property management side. I think if I get like one more, and I don't know why it's like the magic 10 number, right? It's yeah. Like, right, right there. So I am thinking about getting an Airbnb, which will be interesting because other ones are long-term. And like you said, once like I put somebody in there who I feel is appreciating it, fulfilling fulfilling in that aspect so airbnb totally different ball game um i would not self-manage so i would have somebody handle that and be the host um but that is definitely what i see uh, me going into possibly by the end of this year trying it out and seeing i like that i can use different strategies um and really open to trying new things of course the numbers gotta work but yep yeah Got to stick to those number roots. It helps a lot. But yeah, I've always been curious about Airbnb. So one of my good friends where I live is investing in real estate and um, got her kind of hooked on buying property. And so she's doing an Airbnb and I call her like my experiment. I'm like, love you. Go invest and let me know how your numbers work because I can't figure out vacancy where I live. Like yours would be a little more like you'd have some decent comp criteria probably in Maui, but I, yeah, I'm like, you go first and let me know how it goes because I, I would love to do Airbnb, but part of me is a sucker for like doing furnishings in a home. So then that people will destroy, but it's fine. That's part of the business. Right. (laughs) So, but I think I I definitely need to be like without a W2 job at that point, like you're at a perfect spot to like, give that a try and see if you like it. Um, but yeah, I think when every properties appreciate so much here that, I mean, even if you just buy it and you hold it for a few months, I mean, you could sell it probably at a profit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy (laughs) right now. This is a good, a good time to be in real estate, which I think people don't appreciate right now. Like everyone seems to be like afraid of it and like waiting for a crash, but I'm like, it's actually a really nice time because there's just a housing shortage. Like everyone seems to be looking for houses to buy still because there's just not building as much. So And if you can buy, if you can find a deal now, definitely when the market crashes, you'll be even more so prepared to be successful. Right. And you're kind of in the perfect spot of having a few paid off. So then even if you, it crashes, like you still have like, even if you have a few, like you still have those to kind of go back to or sell or have that like back, like their security blanket. Like I like that idea as well at some point. (laughs) Right. And that's why it's hard for me. Not like I 
only have one single family and I'm thinking about selling it because to me, multifamily makes the most sense. If one person is out or they can't pay, at least you have the other person or like how you're doing the right. um, house hacking and things like that. At least you'll always be covered. Yeah. I have a house hack and a duplex. So technically I have four units if you count mine, but I mean like, but then you have guaranteed like one side will support the other. Um, so yeah, because I, at first I was like, I really like single family, but I think like the two to four unit is probably the sweet spot, really the two, or if I can stick in like an ADU type thing, if I can figure out how to do ADUs in my area in an affordable way, that's the route I want to go. I think because the properties where I live are big. And so I'm like, we could totally stick more units on these properties and try to get some people into houses because there's a lot of people looking for rentals, like everywhere in the United States right now. So I definitely want to try the tiny home thing too. Like if my um, husband will let me like just on yes. and see how it goes, but then you have to worry about like water hookups, right. And like sewer, unless yeah. you get a composite toilet, but I don't know how that would. Yeah. Really do. <laughs> I don't know if you want like a long-term, could you Airbnb? I think you'd Airbnb a tiny house, but I'd be nervous about like a composting toilet and <laughs> like a long-term tenant. Like I just don't. <laughs> I mean, it would definitely yeah, be more affordable than running sewer, but I don't know if like, the cost benefit analysis there would have to be run. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah, I'm going to Google composting toilets and how that works because I don't even know. I don't even want to know how you like clean that out. Yeah, hire that out for sure. <laughs> All right. So that gets me to my last question. And thank you so much for all of your time. I appreciate it. I always go over. Um, so my big question is, so I, for the last like two years, I won't shut up about outsourcing is pretty much my like name of the game. So I think a little bit of necessity, a little about like, I just need to value my time more. And so I'm big on like purse, like I have a cleaning lady, I have a lawn guy and I pretty much hire everything out in the rental property, like rehab process. I even hired a painter this year, which is my first time I didn't paint my own houses, um, which is a big deal. I've painted seven houses and I decided that was enough. Um, and so what do you outsource like personal life, real estate, and then what are like, how do you decide what you keep and how do you, what do you get rid of that are like big things? You're like a cleaning lady changed my life. Like I feel very adamant that cleaning is like one of the best things I've ever paid for. So. I definitely this year have been focusing, um, more on partnerships and like, I know that doesn't have to it has to do with some form of art outsourcing because I was doing everything myself. Yeah. Um, so that led me to like, if I'm partnering with a contractor, he just takes over all of that project management. If I partner with somebody um, that's like, we're just doing a hotel, we just got to clean it up and throw it back on. She will um, run all the numbers and keep track of all that aspect of it. So um, as far as my business wise, I've been outsourcing that way, just roles. Um, but for rental properties, I've always had somebody else do the lawn. Like I've never, I've painted maybe one unit before because we were just on a time crunch and I wanted mm -hmm. to get it rented by a certain time. But other than that, I outsource um, all of that. Um, but for my personal life, uh, I I want to get a cleaning lady this year and like a personal chef or something to cook me really healthy meals. Yes. Because <laughs> yeah. I do not like out of everything. So I already, I always tell my husband, right. Cause in a typical um, relationship, you have the one who um, the mom is the one who usually stays home cooks or whatever, or she might work, but she always takes care of the cooking and cleaning. Right. Since the day we met 10 years ago, I already told him from the get go, I do not cook. I, you know, I will clean, but like 
if you cook, I'll wash your di- the dishes and things like that. Yeah. So I, that's always been a goal of mine. And just to find that, that right person too, because in our, I feel like our house, like if somebody enters your home, that's so secret. Um, so it's definitely, you know, have to get that off my plate and just get over that. Yeah. I've been doing meal kits, like meal delivery kits, but I'm like, that's not quite the same. Like I would really like to, because I'm like, everyone has skills and I like need to break this like mindset that like the wife does X, Y, and Z. Like I, I'm like, that was when like, there was one breadwinner in a house and then like the woman, like her old, like that was your full-time like role. And you didn't have all these other tasks and duties and hobbies and sports and like the crazy amount of workload people have. I'm like, there's just no way. And so we run way too many businesses, I think, to do all of the things. And I'm like, I need to stop feeling guilty and just be like, what brings me joy? It's not cooking (laughs) and just try to figure out. So what, how did you overcome that step to like hire a cleaning lady or like, because for me, even though I I am um, making a good amount, I'm still like, you know, I still have that frugal, that frugalness in me. It's like, okay, once I get home, I know like, I can't pay this lady $200 to clean my house. I know it would take me, you know, a couple hours to clean it. But then if you, like you said, you value your time. Is it worth it? Are you worth $100 an hour to clean your house? Right. That's the way I should look at it. I just answered my whole question. Yeah. So I definitely, so I like definitely the $100 an hour is kind of my like cutoff point a little bit. Like for some reason that number is just in my head. Um, So I'm like, okay, if my time's $100 an hour, I shouldn't be like mowing my own yard or I shouldn't be because I'm not nearly as quick as my lawn guy. Um, and then, uh, so the cleaning lady was the first thing to come actually, because it actually was while I was still married and I, he was gone all the time. And I was like, something has to give here. Like I am not spending, like I work all day and I want to see my daughter and I don't want to be worrying about the cleaning and worried about the cooking and I can figure out how to cook with her, but cleaning with her is really hard and like vacuums and like, it's a whole thing. And so finally I just snapped and like, something has to give around here and it's currently me (laughs) and like, I need to find me again. And so I hired a cleaning lady and it was like the best thing I've ever done because you just like walked in and your house smelled good. And I also, it's a lady I found, okay. So you're a relationship person. And so I found this lady who was also a single mom and I just like, she was looking for side work and I was like, I'm like, I'm really easy to work for. I'm just so grateful that you come and clean my house every day. So I don't have to, I'm going to be like the easiest employee. Like, I don't even really care. Like, I just want to walk into my house and have it smell good. And I want like all the baby fingerprints and all the toddler, like dog marks to be like off of the windows and things. And, and so it was nice to feel like, like she needed the side money more than I needed to be doing it. And then I got my time back to be with my daughter and it was like totally worth it to feel like you like helped someone. So maybe kind of going about that, like, help me help you kind of deal. Like I like the win-win yes. okay. situations. So yeah, it's funny that it's because I approach sellers like that, but when it comes for things for myself, and I think it's just like, you know, being a mom too, like everybody kind of comes before, before you um, yeah. in that aspect. Um, but this has been a very big, like transformative couple of years for me where I'm like, my time is so valuable. Let me figure out like new ways to like run life um, and like being okay with prioritizing yourself because I'm like, no one's going to like come in and be like, oh, you worked yourself to the bone and you cleaned your house. Like no one's going to like, no one cares. And if you do, we probably aren't friends anymore. (laughs) Let's be real. (laughs) So yeah, I just, 
yeah, you just kind of figure out how to make it work. And I mean, I don't like advertise to like people that know me probably locally that I have like my house clean and all these things, but like, wow, you're rich. (laughs) I'm like, no, it's worth a hundred dollars an hour. It's worth it. So yeah, I absolutely love it. But also just like trying it out and seeing if you like it, like just because you try it once doesn't mean you do it forever, but also maybe it will feel like weird and invasive. And you're like, no, I want to keep the cleaning part, but maybe like the cook would make you feel like my house cleaner does. Like I will roll with cooking, but like cleaning, I'm like, I just don't want to, it takes way too long. <laughs> um, so tell everyone where they can find you and how they can get a hold of you. If they want to ask you questions about how you like built your business or your portfolio and all of those good things. I use Instagram the most at invest with Zasha. So that's with a Z Zasha. Um, I try to answer most of the questions that I do get. Um, and I also am consistent with doing lives. So even if you have a question that you want to ask right away, um, I do do lives. I try to do it every once a week. So it's been pretty consistent with that, but yeah, Instagram at invest with Zasha is probably the best way. Sounds good. Yeah. We have the same preferred method of communication, just like Instagram junkies. I love it. I think that's why people come on the pod, like this podcast because I'm like, Hey, Instagram friends, you want to hang out and talk to me for an hour? This is going to be great. (laughs) So this was so much fun. And thank you so much for doing this. I, I hope it's inspiring to people because I just love the story of like, you know, starting out in like a humble place and like investing in such a high cost of living city. And you didn't you didn't start with a million connections. You didn't start with like a six figure job. You just like made it happen in a high cost living city. And I think that's amazing. And I hope a lot of people will get off there. I can't do it in my high cost living market bandwagon because you're proving it otherwise. And what did you say the average property cost is in your area? Is it over a million dollars or is it right around there? Yeah. Yeah. It's right around there. Yeah. Yeah. So Fellow high cost of living people look into ADUs. <laughs> Accessory dwelling units are going to be your new best friend. Gosh, did you all just love this episode? I hope you're enjoying each of these podcasts as much as I am. If you are, please go subscribe to the podcast and spread the word by sharing your thoughts on Instagram. If you are not already aware, I'm pretty much obsessed with Instagram. So seriously, come find me. Instagram is the place where I'm going to announce every new podcast episode. I also share new products as I post them into my store. And I also am just going to be oversharing way too much about my personal life as a DIY landlord and a working boss mom. Thanks so much for listening.